Well, good morning, Abundant Life. How are you? Good to see you guys. I'm glad you're here. Good to see you guys. Can you guys just stop greeting so I can get on with the sermon here? My goodness. My goodness. It's great to see you guys. We are in the book of Ruth, and I'm loving this uh, story and this series because the book of Ruth is an amazing love story. And on the surface, it appears to be the love story of a man and a woman. But behind the scenes and really beneath all of it is this incredible love story that your heavenly father has for you. It's the incredible love story that God has for each one of us and how he never leaves us, how he continually pursues us and is always working things for our good and for his purposes. And that's what we see in this story. And so to review a little bit about where we've come, the book of Ruth is set in a time that's called the Judges. It follows the book of Judges, and it was one of Israel's darkest periods of their history. It was a, a time uh, about a thousand years before Jesus would come onto the scene, and it was a time when, as the book of Judges ends, it says everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And so it was a very difficult, dark time. And so the book begins by uh, taking us to a town called Bethlehem referred to as the house of bread. Bethlehem means the house of bread. And there in Bethlehem lived a man whose name was Elimelech, which means God is my king. There's a famine in the land of Bethlehem. And so Elimelech makes the decision to uproot his family, his wife Naomi, which means sweet. So he's going to uproot sweet Naomi and his two sons, Malon and Kilion, which means sick and dying, and going to move them it seriously means that, and moved them to a place called Moab, a place they should not have gone because it's a, it's a godless place. They're perverted people. They're, they, they, just, they sacrifice children, and everything about them is, is wicked and, and mean and nasty, and so there's no place for them to go. But Elimelech makes the decision, we'd be better off there where there is bread rather than being in the house of bread where there is no bread, and so they made the decision. Well, no sooner did they get there that Elimelech died. Now, we don't know why, we don't know how he died, but he did. Well, some time goes by, and their boys, uh, Malon and Kilion, they marry Moabite girls. Okay, one is named Ruth, and the other is named Orpah. And so they marry these, these two Moabite women. Well, about 10 years later, they die. Okay, the sons die. Malon, sick, and Kilion dying, died. Okay, so sick and dying, die. That's, that's what happens to people who are called sick and dying. You die. And so they die. And so now if you picture things are going from bad to worse because now you've got three women who are uh, fending for themselves. They're, they have no one to care for them. And so Naomi gets word that the famine is now over in Bethlehem. And so she, along with the two girls, uh, Ruth and, and, um, and Orpah, they begin the 50-mile journey back to Bethlehem. But before they go too far, they, they are on the way back, and, and uh, Naomi just turns around and she says, Girls, I've been thinking about this, and I think you need to stay in Moab. You need to turn around and go back to your people, be with your moms and your dads, and and marry husbands, have babies, and get on with your life because I've got nothing to offer to you. And so Orpah did what you would expect both of them to do, and that was to take her advice. And so Orpah turned around, and she went back home. And we never hear another thing about Orpah. 
Ruth, on the other hand, she makes the decision that wherever you go, Naomi, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go with you. Wherever you go, I go. Wherever you live, that's where I live. Your people, they'll be my people. And your God will be my God. And that's the decision she made. And this was an amazing decision. You've got to understand, this is a crossroad moment in her life. Because she knows she's going to a place she's never been. And she's going to a place where people are likely not going to accept her. Because she's a Moabite. And, and so it's very dangerous. And, and nothing is working in her favor. But she says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with you. And so they begin the 50-mile journey back to Bethlehem. So they get there, and uh, people see Naomi coming, and they say, oh, my gosh, look who's back in town. Naomi's back. Sweet Naomi's back. And she said, don't call me sweet. Call me bitter. Call me Mara, because God has dealt very bitter with me, very bitterly with me. And so you can, so you can tell real quick, she's a grumpy old woman. She left sweet and nice, and now she's a grumpy old woman. And so they're back. And it also shows, when, we, when you look at the story, when we finished up chapter 1, they came back right at the beginning of barley season, which was an indication that, you know, this is a new season. Well, not only was it a new season for harvesting, I believe what the author is helping us to see is that it was a new season both for Naomi and for Ruth. And God was going to do new things in their life. Now, pause right there for just a moment. Whenever you and I wander off to Boaz, if you will come back, if you'll come back to Bethlehem, if you'll come back to the house of bread, if you'll come back to Jesus, God says, I will do a new thing in your life. He makes all things new. It's one of the great things about following Jesus because he knows how broken we are. He knows how sinful we are. He knows how dark life can be sometimes. And he knows that we can wander off. But he says, if you come back, my mercies are new for you every day. Isn't that good to know? Yes. It's just good to know that with God, you get a chance. He doesn't write you off. And he doesn't abandon you. He doesn't leave you. And so it's a new day for them. It's a new day for us. And I don't know where you are today, but I pray that if you've wandered off to, to Moab, that you will come back. And so now we want to pick up the story in chapter 2. Now, Naomi... She had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. Everybody say Boaz. Boaz. Isn't that a great name? I, now, that's, that's a good name. I, I mean, it, the people could have fun with that name. But, but Boaz is a great name because Boaz means man of strength, okay? He was a man of strength, a strong person. Not like Samson type strong necessarily, although he may have been. But it's strong of character. I mean, he's a man's man. He's the kind of person that you would want your daughter to marry. He's the kind of person that you'd want for a son-in-law. You'd want this person on your side. You'd want to be in his court, a man's man. In today's society, he would ride a Harley, he would listen to country music, and he loves Jesus. Okay, can somebody say amen? And so he's a man's man, and, and that's just who he is. And, and so he's a man of standing. Now, what this means is he's a man of good standing in the community. He's a man of good character. In other words, he's not a loser. He's not a slacker. He's not your run-of-the-mill Israelite, but he's a person of character. He has money. He loves God. He happens to be single, and he's a catch, okay? And so, and so God is working stuff here. And so, guys... If any single guy's here, you would do well to imitate him. And if you're married, you would do well to learn from him. Okay, so let's go to verse 2. 
one day, Ruth the Moabite, and every time Ruth is mentioned, it's like Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the woman from Moab. And, and it's like that defines her. I mean, it's like Ruth, the girl from the wrong side of town, okay? Ruth, the person from, you know, that place you never want to go. And, and so she said to Naomi, I'm going into the fields. Maybe someone will be kind enough to let me gather grain that he leaves behind. And so Naomi said, go, my daughter. You see, they're broke. They have no food. There's no food in the fridge. There's no food in the cupboard. There's no food in the pantry. There's nothing to be had. They are dirt broke. And she says, somebody has to do something. Somebody has to do something. We are in survival mode, and somebody has to do something. So she asked permission of Naomi to go into the field. Now, let me ask you a question. Can God bless you when it seems like the bottom has fallen out of your life? Absolutely, absolutely, because that's the time God works best. God specializes in things that we call impossible. And so if you're going through a difficult time right now, just know that you're in a setup for a miracle and for God to do what he does best. Now, what happens, however, in times when tragedy strikes our life, what I notice happens is one of two things. Either some people get paralyzed and they freeze and they put life on hold and they stop living life and they start living in fear and they just stop. They're paralyzed. They can't make a decision and they won't get on with their life because they're paralyzed. And so that's what some people do. Other people, on the other hand, it motivates them. It's, you know, they, when, when something happens, it's like, I can't stand for this. I've got to do something about this, okay? And, and so that's who Ruth is. She's the kind of person who realizes I cannot just sit here and, and us starve to death. I've got to get out and go get some food and get to work. And what I want you to notice is she doesn't sit on the, on the couch and, and play with Facebook and hope that God or somebody will call her, okay, and, and offer her a job. She gets out. And she gets to work. She takes the initiative. Sometimes people say, I just wish God would show me what to do. I wish God would direct my life. And, and, and I know you're not doing anything. I mean, if, if you want God to direct you a boat, at some point you've got to untie it from the dock. And so it's, you've got to get it out there in the water so you can give God something to steer. Now, this is really important when you try to balance the sovereignty of God and the freedom that we have to make choices. Okay, you, you've got to be able to balance that because this is very important. What she did, she got up and she started moving. In other words, she did the next best thing. That's what I want to encourage you to do. If you're at a place in your life right now and you're not sure where to go or what to do or how to figure it out, you have a dream or you have a vision or you're kind of at your, your wit's end or at the end of your rope, just do the next best thing. Do the next best thing. That, that's what she's doing here. And, and I think this is really good because I think what she understands is that what we need to understand is that we can find comfort in the fact that God's involved in the process. You see, that's what we know on the other side of the story. We know that God's involved in the process. That's the way God works. God is working behind the scenes. He's weaving together in your life in the highs and the lows, the good and the bad 
the seasons of plenty and the seasons of nothing. He's working in all of those to weave this beautiful tapestry of your life. And you can take comfort in that. You can take hope in that. And so don't sit and do nothing. Don't, don't play it safe. Get out there and, and let God work in and through your life. And so she asked permission of Naomi. Naomi explains, you know, this is how it works. You go glean behind the, the harvesters, and, and maybe somebody will come along and be, and be nice to you. So in verse 3, so Ruth went to the fields, and she gathered the grain that the workers uh, cutting the grain had left behind. Okay, so she goes out there. And she's, she does something that would be equivalent to today would be like collecting aluminum cans. Okay, they've got no food, nothing to do. I'm going to go gather, glean the uh, wheat that gets left behind. It's like looking for aluminum cans. It's like going to the soup kitchen. It's, it's like, it's like uh, scrounging through dumpsters and stuff like that, just looking for food. That's kind of the situation they're in. And so she goes out there in this field. And this next phrase in this verse, it's one of my favorite phrases in this whole story. It says, it just so happened. Everybody say, it just so happened. It just so happened that the field belonged to Boaz from Elimelech's family. Some versions say, as it turned out. And sometimes we would say, you know, as luck would have it. Or sometimes we'll make the statement, you know, boy, you know, it's just coincidental that this happened. And, but that's not what's going on at all. I think the author here is, is making a play on words because the author knows that God is providential. The author knows that God is sovereign. And as he writes this, he kind of spins this, it just so happened. It just so happened that she wandered into the field that belonged to Boaz, who was related to Naomi. It just so happened. I challenge you to look back over the course of your life at the just so happened moments. You'd be amazed if you'd stop long enough to retrace some of the steps of your life and see how God was working. I look back over the course of my life over the past, oh, 28 years since, since we've been here, 28, 30 years or so. Uh, you know, it just so happened that when Ann and I lived in Indianapolis, I was working on a master's degree in Kentucky at Kentucky Christian University. And it just so happened that Dr. Roy Lawson, everybody remember that name, Dr. Roy Lawson. This is important in the story in your society. It just so happened that Dr. Roy Lawson was teaching, and after class that day, it just so happened that he was talking to a group of two or three of us, and he said, you know, for some of you guys, if you're ever going to be in a growing church, you need to go just start your own church. Just go start your own church. That thought had never occurred to me. So I went back to my wife and said, you know, Dr. Roy said that we ought to, Think about starting your own church. And we thought, well, we don't know anything about that. And it just so happened that I heard about a seminar that was being offered in Chicago, which was just a few hours' drive north of us. You want to know the name of the seminar? How to Plant a Church. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It just so happened that they were offering a seminar. I mean, Fuller, Fuller Seminary from California was offering the seminar in Chicago. And so it just so happened it was about how to plant a church. So we went to the seminar. But the thing is, we didn't have money to go to the seminar. We really didn't. We didn't have any money. And so it just so happened, though, that my wife was managing 50 rental properties in Indianapolis for a realty company. Yeah, she was one of those people who kicked people out of the house, took them to court and all that stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and so it, it was, that part of your job sucked, didn't it? I mean, you hated that. It was horrible. It was horrible. But anyway, she managed, it just so happened that she managed 50 rental properties. Well, it, it just so happened that in Indianapolis that winter, 
a horrific ice storm came through the city, and it shut everything down, similar to the one that we had here in Portland not too long ago. And it shut everything down, and, and all the ice broke all the limbs on the trees, and, and the yards were a mess, and so all these yards had to be cleaned up. So I said, well, hire me. Hire me to do it, and I'll clean it up. You pay me, and then we'll have the money to go to the Howard Planet Church. And so she hired me, paid me exactly what we needed to go to the <laughs> seminar, and, uh, and, and we went. And, and so we thought, we, we can do this. We can do this. We think we can do this. And so we began investigating. We got our boat out there in the water, and, and somebody said, well, go to Phoenix because there's an organization there looking for a couple. And so we went to Phoenix, and they showed us around, and it just so happens that they never called me back. It, I'm serious. They never they sent me email, phone call, nothing. And, and so, but it just so happens that in that season, one of the leaders in my church back in Indianapolis moved to Southern California. And it just so happens that he has friends up here in Portland. Well, it just so happened that one day they were talking, sitting talking, and Doral Campbell, who's now since gone home to be with the Lord, he and Jim were talking, and Doral said to Jim, we want to plant a church here in Damascus. Do you know of anyone? He says, I, I know of a couple back in Indianapolis from the church. I just left. And so they sent me an email. I responded, and here we are, you know. Now, now it just so happened that once we got here, uh, the first summer we were here, it just so happened that we went camping with our friends Alan and Cynthia Clother over to Fort Stevens State Park. Anybody ever go camping over there? Yeah, it just so happens that we went there. And it just so happens that literally right across the little road in the campsite across from us was a couple named Dennis and Karen Quick. I never met them in my entire life, but it just so happens that they were really good friends of Alan and Cynthia Clother. Well, it just so happens that Dennis became my worship pastor and was my worship pastor for 18 years. 18 years. It just so happened that all that came together. Now, if you fast forward, because there's a lot of more, it just so happened moments in this story, but to bring it to a close, it just so happened that Roy Lawson, remember I told you about Roy Lawson? He had started a church in Mesa, Arizona. And it just so happens that the person who succeeded him was Cal Jernigan. It just so happens that about 33 years ago, Cal and his wife Lisa had a son, and his name was Jeremy. It just so happens that Jeremy Jernigan is going to be the next senior leader at this church here. Isn't that crazy? I mean, now I know that's good and bad. I know there's mixed feelings about all that stuff, but, but I want, what I want you to see is nothing just happens. Nothing just happens. You see, God, God is at work in our lives. He works with us and through us and around us and oftentimes in spite of us. He works. And so what I'm saying to you is quit living your life in fear and being afraid because nothing just happens. Start trusting God because nothing just happens. Start moving. Start living life. Start taking adventures because nothing just happens happens. I mean, honestly, from Ruth's perspective, it could have easily been, well, I don't know what field to go to. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. I guess that's the field to which I'll go. And that's the one I'll go. You know, from her perspective, it could have been that way. But from God's perspective, no, I'm directing your steps, and I'm going to take you to the field that I want you to go to, the one that happens to belong to Boaz. Because he's the only one who can redeem you. He's the only one who can save you. 
You see, your life is not guided by luck. Your life is not guided by chance, by circumstance. Your life is guided by the hand of a loving father who loves you in ways that you don't even know. And he's working in ways to direct your life and, and, and to help you. And, and so that's what we see happening. So remember, the, the mega theme of the book is the providence of God. So I want you to write this lesson down. Ruth took the initiative, but God took care of the rest. If you'll just take the initiative, just untie your boat from the dock and take the initiative. Listen, if you need a job, go knock on a door, okay, and make a phone call. Take the initiative and leave the rest to God. If you're looking for a wife, just go to church or something. <laughs> Don't go to a bar, but go, go to church, okay. Maybe God, God could bring you together on a bar too, I suppose. But I'd recommend starting at church. But, but... In other words, just stop worrying and start trusting. Why? Because nothing just happens, okay? Quit living in fear and start living by faith. Why? Because nothing just happens. Start trusting God with your life and, and watch to see him work. So she happens to go to the field that belonged to Boaz. So, so just then now, so it just so happens that Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, okay? In verse 4, she's gone to this field, don't know where she's gone, who it belongs to. Well, it belonged to Boaz, and guess who shows up? Boaz, okay? So I pictured that. I pictured the story in a crazy way. So, so Boaz comes driving up. I pictured his Escalade, okay? He comes driving up in his Escalade. He's got low-profile tires in the rims. He's probably got a big old chain hanging from his, from his chest, and he's got the hair poking out and all this stuff. And, 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 and he's wealthy, and he's important, he's influential, and you would expect him to get out of his, uh, out of his Escalade and start barking orders, hey, hey, give me some coffee, and you work faster, and what are you doing over there? You would expect him to be that kind of person, but he wasn't at all. In fact, he was the kind of guy that any employee would want to work for. I mean, any of you would love to work for Boaz because you read this story. He gets out of his Escalade, and he greeted the harvesters. He says, the Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. When's the last time you walked into work and your boss said, hey, the Lord be with you? You're going, what are you smoking? Are you drunk or what? And then they responded back, and may he be with you too. The Lord bless you too. I may try that tomorrow. Go into work tomorrow and say to your boss, the Lord be with you. And see what happens, okay? <laughs> and, and so that's what's going on. And so he's a great guy to work for. I mean, if this were a musical, everybody would be breaking out into song and dancing right now. But anyway, so, 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 so this ha he drives up. And so Boaz, he asks the foreman uh, of his harvesters, he goes to human resources, and he, and he asks, who, who's that young woman over there? Who, who is she, by the way? And he says, well, it's, the, it's that lady who... From, from Moab, she, she showed up in town a few weeks ago with that grumpy old lady, uh, Naomi. <laughs> and, um, and, and, you know, she's the one who they, their husbands died and they're back here in town. And, and he says, well, you know, I heard about that. I, I, I heard about that, saw it on Facebook, and Facebook's lighting up <laughs> with them. And, and uh, he, he said, well, you know, the, the, she's a hard worker. I mean, she got here early, and she has worked nonstop ever since, which you really get something about the character of Ruth about this juncture because she's not looking for a handout. She's a hard worker. She's a person of character. She doesn't have an attitude. She doesn't have a, like you owe me kind of an attitude and none of that stuff. 
which by the way, I'll stop right here, guys. If, if you're looking for a girl, by the way, um, you've got to get beyond she's hot. Okay, you got to get beyond that. And, and you got to begin asking other kinds of questions like, is she sober? Can she read? Uh, <laughs> is, she, is she a woman of, of character? Does she love God? Okay, and, and so if you see what's happening here, God has put Ruth right in front of Boaz, and he's put Boaz right in front of Ruth. I mean, he's just orchestrated this whole thing. It's so cool. And so then uh, Boaz has his first sighting of Ruth, and he has, and this leads to the first conversation. And so in verses 8 and 9, so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter. I mean, the first words he says is my daughter. Now, that's translated in the Hebrew, who's your daddy? Okay, <laughs> that's, that's where that's translated. <laughs> my daughter, who's your daddy? Okay. Not really. Some of you are thinking, oh, wow, that is so cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> don't, don't go out here saying, guess what? This means in the Hebrew. It doesn't mean that, I don't think. And anyway, he says, my daughter, listen to me. Which he's getting off to a good start. He's, he's laying down the law and, and kind of establishing the pecking order real quick. Listen to me. I mean, it, that, I mean, it should be that way, right? <laughs> anyway, so he says, so, so listen to me. Don't go and clean from another field and don't go away from me. In other words, this is the, the best field. You don't want to go wandering off to any of these other fields because it's not safe. You stay here, stay behind my servant girls, and, and, and they'll take care of you. Okay, so, so watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow after my girls. And then he says, I, I've told the men not to touch you. I've told the men not to touch you. Okay, this, by the way, uh, this is the first sexual harassment policy in the Bible. Okay. I, I can just picture, I really, I can picture, you know, that Boaz calls his workers over and, and says, you see that girl over there? She's pretty hot, right? And they're going, yeah, we notice. And I, I can just him, him saying, don't touch her. Don't you touch her. Don't you tease her. Don't you make fun of her. Don't you touch her. Because if you do, I will bury you. <laughs> and, and so he says, you just leave her alone. And, and, he, and he says to, to Ruth, and, and whatever, whenever you're thirsty, just, just go get a drink from the water jars uh, that the men have, have filled. Okay, so bottomless refills and all this stuff. And so verse 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. And, and she exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? Why, and this is an Eastern custom, okay, bowing to the ground is a sign of respect. And I know some of you guys are thinking right now, wow, you know, give me that old-time religion. <laughs> I, I like that. And, and so for you guys, before you decide that today would be a good day to start family devotions and then you're going to use this verse to start with, um, the word used here of, of when she bowed down, this is of a person who bowed before deity or royalty, and you're neither, okay? <laughs> and so this doesn't apply to you. Um, it, it's often also used of a socially inferior person bowing down before a superior person. Again, that rules you out, okay? <laughs> so anyway, she asked, you know, why are you being so nice to me? And then he replied, you know, uh, Ruth, I, I've heard of what you've been through. I heard the commitment that you made to your mother-in-law, Naomi, and, and I, I want the best for you, and I'm just here to watch out for you. He, in other words, Boaz is not a greasy slime ball who is praying 
on defenseless women. In fact, what he does is he prays for her. He prays for her. And remember last week I told you that um, every prayer in the book of Ruth is for someone else. And every prayer is answered before the story is over. And so in verse 12, he prays, may the Lord be with you for what you have done. And may you be richly blessed by the Lord, that the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. In other words, he says, I'm praying that, that God will give you food. I pray that God will give you a home. I pray that God will bring you a husband. I pray that God will give you children. And I pray that God will bless you in every area of your life. That's basically what he's praying for her. And then Ruth replies in verse 13, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. And you might circle that word comfort. Have you ever, have you ever felt the comfort of good news? When, when you were waiting for news and you didn't know how it was going to come, and when you received the news, it was good news. And did you ever go, <sighs> right? That's what this picture is. And when he says, may you receive the comfort, it's like you took a deep sigh of, of relief. <sighs> I thank God's watching over me. I thank God is taking care of me. That, that's the feeling that she has here. And then in verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, now, now come over here and, and have some bread and, and dip, dip it in the wine, vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. And she ate all that she wanted and had some left over. And then as she got up to go glean, as she was going to go back to work, Boaz gave orders to the men. If she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. And he reminds her, don't, don't you make fun of her. Don't you tease her. Rather, what I want you to do is to pull out some of the stalks from her for her from the bundles that you have and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Now, this is what's going on here. Boaz is doing for Ruth what God does for you and me. And he helps an outsider become an insider. That's what he's doing. That's what God does for you and me. You see, you and I, we come to God and we, we have nothing. We have nothing to offer him. In fact, all we have to offer him is baggage. That's all we have to offer him is baggage. Nothing. And, and he wants us to become insiders. In other words, we've got nothing, but we leave full. He gives us everything. He gives us so much that we can't even contain it all. In fact, he told her, just, just go start picking and get all the stuff that you want. And she ended up getting about 30 to 50 pounds worth of grain and enough that would last him for weeks. It's like two weeks worth of salary and all this stuff. And again, that's what Jesus does for us. And she carries it all back to town. And, and then she comes back home to Naomi. And so Naomi does what, what any woman would do and starts playing 10,000 questions. <laughs> okay. That's not, in, that's not intended to be a slight, okay? Don't, don't get Somebody after the second service says, I hope I don't get into a lot of trouble, you know, over this message. I'm not worried about it. I'm out of here. <laughs> but anyway, so, so her mother-in-law starts playing 10,000 questions. So in verse 19 through 20, her mother-in-law asks you, where did you glean today, Ruth? And, and where did you work? And, and blessed be the man who took notice of you. And, and so she's asking, you know, where did you go? Who did you work for? What field did you go to? Where did you get all that grain? Is he going to give you more? 
What's his name? I mean, there's thousands of questions that are coming at her. And so, and so Ruth says to her mother-in-law, she says, uh, she talked to her about the one whose place she had been working. She says, Naomi, you're not going to believe this. I mean, it's the most amazing thing happened. It was awesome. The, this guy, he has a job. He can read. Has a dope escalade. He reads his Bible. <laughs> he invited me to lunch. He asked me to sit beside him. He didn't try to put his hand on me. He's an absolute gentleman. And he sent home a box of chocolates for you. And so, now, see, Boaz is smart. Boaz is smart. He knows. And listen, guys, if you're single, here's another great piece of advice. If you're single and you want to get the woman, you got to get the mom. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what I did, right? Right. Her mom loves me. I'm, I'm by far her favorite son-in-law. <laughs> and, so, and so Naomi replies, the, the, and then she says, the name of the man that I, I work for, Ruth says, is Boaz. And, and, and then she said, the Lord bless him. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, that man, he's our close relative. He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. I mean, imagine that. Imagine that. And, and so now what happens, and what I want you to see here, she begins blessing uh, Boaz. And which she, she's gone now from bitterness to blessing. Let me ask you, so isn't it oftentimes the kindness of God that brings us back to repentance? Yeah, it is. It's the goodness of God that causes us to come back to him. It's the kindness of God that draws us back. That's why when, when you wander off to Moab, that God doesn't say, if you don't come back, I'm going to get you. No, it's not that at all. God continues to love you. He continues to pursue you. And it's the kindness of God that draws you back to him. You can't help but want to come back to him because it's the kindness that draws you back. Now, what's interesting right about here is everything goes silent. Everything goes silent. I mean, she comes home with a truckload of food, and then everything goes silent. She goes back to the field and doesn't see Boaz. She goes back again, doesn't see Boaz. And, and you can only imagine, every day she comes back, Naomi's saying, did you see Boaz today? What did he say to you? Did he do any more for you? Did he ask you to marry him? And that stuff. And, and she's, I saw him. I saw him at the other end of the field, but, you know, he didn't look at me. He didn't notice me. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I have bad breath or maybe I'm not as good looking as he thought. Maybe I didn't shave the hair on my arms like I should have or whatever. And so, and so I don't know. I don't know. It's just gone silent. It's just gone silent. They're in a time of waiting right now. Don't you love that song that Amy sung for us uh, just a little while ago, the, the time of waiting? God's in the waiting you see, that's where God is right here. So that's where the story ends. And so let me give you four overarching lessons really fast. Here's the first one. God does not leave us in seasons of suffering. God doesn't. God does not leave you in seasons of suffering, in seasons of pain, in seasons of loss. God does not leave you. He doesn't leave you. He's always with you. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. In Psalm 147, he heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. Sometimes when we're in deep, dark places of our life, we feel like God has left us. No, God doesn't leave you in those times. It may feel like it from your perspective, but from God, no. Here's the second one. Keep your eyes open for nothing just happens moments. Keep your eyes open for those because they happen around you all the time. Proverbs 16, 4 says, the Lord works out everything for his own ends. In Proverbs 16, 9, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. In other words, God's directing your steps. 
Keep your eyes open for those moments that you think it was just a coincidence. Look for God in those moments. Here's the third lesson. Like Ruth, respond to God's grace with astonishment and humility because there really is no other appropriate response to the amazing grace of God. That's the way Ruth responded in astonishment. She, she asked Boaz, why have I found favor with you, Boaz? I'm just a foreigner. I've got nothing. I'm from the wrong side of the tracks. Why have I found favor? That's the only response you and I should have toward God and his grace. And then humility, she bowed to the ground, the very posture that you and I should take every single day before God. Humility, humility. And then here's the last lesson. Blessings are not meant to be hoarded, but to be shared. They're not meant to be hoarded, but they're meant to be shared. You see, God blessed Boaz. He was richly blessed. He was a richly blessed person. But he didn't hoard that, and he didn't use it to power over others. Instead, what he did, he blessed Ruth, and then Ruth blessed Naomi. And that's just a picture. Whenever God blesses your life, he blesses you for the purpose of blessing others. And so if God has blessed you with grace, then give grace lavishly to the people in your life. If God has blessed you with forgiveness, and I know he has, then extend extravagant forgiveness to the people in your life. If God has blessed you with material possessions, then, then bless other people in your life with material possessions. In other words, when God blesses you, he blesses you so you can be a blessing to other people. That's what it's all about. This is an amazing story, a story where Ruth had nothing, nothing but baggage, and she was empty and broke, and she came home filled with more than she could handle. Why is that? That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. She was amazed by love, at the abundance that God had given. I'm going to ask if you'd bow your head. And as we close out today, maybe you're here as a person who has yet to receive the amazing grace that God has for you, wants to give to you. You've got nothing to offer him. In fact, your life is probably a wreck like everybody else's life. We're all broken and messed up in some way or another. We've really got nothing to give to God. But yet, he, he says, I want to give you the best I have. I want to give you my son, Jesus, to forgive you, redeem you. I'm your kinsman redeemer. I want to redeem you. Some of you need to come back to Jesus, come back to the house of bread. And some of you, for the very first time, need to fall on your knees before God and say, God, forgive me of my sin, and I invite Jesus into my life. I need him to redeem me. And so if that's you today, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And I'm, again, I invite all of you, even those of you who've made the decision to follow Jesus, if you also would pray. Father in heaven, today I thank you for Jesus. And I recognize he's my redeemer. I've got nothing to offer you. I come to you empty. And Jesus, I ask you to fill my life with your grace and forgiveness. I acknowledge the truth that you'll never leave me, that you'll never walk out on me. I choose to follow you. I pray this in your name.